in the hobby. It's not easy being a fan of ripping packs or repacks. We hype ourselves up thinking that we could pull, I don't know, Hall of Famer. But with zero transparency on available cards and hit rates, it's all just a shot in the dark. Until now, introducing Slab Packs from ArenaClub.com. The only repack that provides real value, a complete view of all possible cards, and clear hit rates for each one. Now when I buy slab packs on Arena Club, it finally feels like I know what I'm getting. There is nothing more fun than opening an Arena Club slab pack. I mean, it is so much better than any mystery pack that I've ever purchased because there is a focus on transparency. There is a display of available cards. There are hit rates you can get. When you're graded, you're given a rationale. It is the marketplace for card collecting, buying, trading, selling, and displaying. Arena Club Slab Packs are revolutionizing the repack game with transparency. After your pulls are revealed, they'll immediately be placed in your vault for safekeeping or trading and selling. You can have them officially graded by Arena Club. The Arena Club grading process is accurate, fast, and transparent, with a full grade rationale provided and explanation of how your card was scored. Whether you're buying, selling, trading, or displaying, Arena Club is the card collecting platform you have to check out. Right now, you can get 10% off your first purchase by going to arenaclub.com slash badmoney. Wow, that's a crazy offer. 10% off a $400 slab pack, that's $40 right there. Anyways, that's arenaclub.com slash badmoney for 10% off your first purchase. I love to track progress. As you guys know from listening to this show, I'm constantly tracking my progress. What have we done so far in 2024? And spring is in full bloom. Are your finances blooming too? With the Chime Secured Credit Builder Visa Credit Card, it's easy to start building credit with everyday purchases and regular on-time payments with no annual fees or interest. And if your credit scores grow, so could your opportunities for lower rates on loans like for a car or a home. You can use it everywhere Visa credit cards are accepted. That's right, you can build your credit using your own money. Get paid up to two days early with direct deposit. With a qualifying direct deposit, you can get access to your money sooner. Fee-free overdraft with SpotMe. Overdraft up to $200 without fees with SpotMe when you set up a qualified direct deposit. Just set up a qualifying direct deposit, sign up for SpotMe, and Chime will spot you up to your limit when you make a credit card purchase or cash withdrawal that exceeds your balance. Access 60,000 plus fee-free ATMs. That's more than the top three national banks combined. Easily find one near you with the Chime app. Send and receive money. Use Chime to pay anyone, Chime members or not, and cash out your money fee-free. With Chime's secure credit card, you can start improving your credit scores right away. Get started at Chime.com slash bad money. That's Chime.com slash bad money. Chime. Feels like progress. The Chime Credit Builder Visa Credit Card is issued by the Bancorp Bank N.A. or Stride Bank N.A. members FDIC. Spot me eligibility requirements and overdraft limits apply. Out-of-network ATM withdrawal and OTC advance fees may apply. Terms and conditions apply. Go to Chime.com slash disclosures for details. I'm Gabby Dunn. Welcome to Bad With Money, a show about finances and feelings where we don't talk down to you. Trigger warning for food and for animal exploitation. I'll pause so you can turn it off.
Ooh-hoo-hoo, guys. I am excited. This episode, I think, is going to be controversial. As you know, one of my favorite aspects of Bad With Money is talking to people who have prioritized different parts of life than I have, who have decided what their fight is and have dedicated themselves to it. Veganism isn't my fight, but I understand how it dovetails with the politics I do care about. Decolonization, exploitation, animal rights, environmentalism. Veganism has become an incredibly complex issue that makes people defensive for many reasons. Judgment, health concerns, love of the taste of animal products, claims of hypocrisy, elitism, and privilege. And veganism gets a lot of bad press. Quote, this is just a disguised eating disorder. Quote, this is too much to ask. Quote, this is focusing on animals to the detriment of human rights, etc., etc., etc. You've heard them all. I get it. I get it. I get it. I hear those. And look, I'm not a vegan, but I'm increasingly interested in our food and where it comes from and thinking about what I'm eating and where that comes from. But there's a lot of foods that are comforting to me that definitely do not fall under veganism's purview. Jewish chicken soup, hard-boiled eggs, butter on my sad little depression toast. Sure, I try not to eat any meat directly, like no steaks or sausages or anything, and I have swapped out my burgers for beyond plant-based alternatives if that's an option. But for example, at a barbecue, it might not be, and so I don't really make a fuss about it. And it's not super conscious decision-making on my end, only when I have a moment and I'm thinking about it. So vegans, do I agree that every single animal product is the same level of bad? No. Someone making honey from their own honeybees on a little farm doesn't seem to be comparable to a factory farm slaughtering baby chicks by the hundreds. But ha ha, everyone has a different opinion. I'll give you an example. On my other podcast, Just Between Us, we had a woman named Jessica Gonzalez on to talk about her company, Happy Organics, where she infuses honey with CBD. She also has her own bee colonies. The interview seemed so harmless. She treats her bees well, and she runs a small business. We love to see it. But I remember after that episode aired, we got a really intense email from an ecology PhD candidate who was incensed that Jessica said she doesn't use pesticides to kill mites on her bee colonies. I thought, oh, good, pesticides are bad. Well, here is a snippet of that very impassioned and informative email. Quote, by not treating colonies for mites, these types of beekeepers spread diseases to other beekeepers' colonies. Bees are known to drift to other hives while carrying mites or viruses spread by these mites. Honeybees also spread viruses to other wild bees by leaving them behind on flowers they visit via their poop. Honeybees are important, but there are other managed and native pollinators that are responsible for pollinating crops. These include mason bees and many bumblebees, among thousands of other types of bees. Not stating their importance is a detriment to the public and those trying to protect all bee species. Oh, the internet! As you can see, there is always someone with a different expertise, a different life experience, a different approach, and a different education on any topic. Believe me, I know, I have been online. But this seems especially true when it comes to animals of all kinds, farming, and what we eat and how we eat. All sorts of ethical thresholds abound, and it's nearly impossible to declare one right or one wrong within this nuanced spectrum. Just look at bees. Some prioritize honeybees. Some, like our emailer, believe that this is akin to being an anti-vaxxer, which is what they said in the email. And some people might think that this whole conversation is wild. 
I want to start this episode by describing my conversation with our second guest, vegan activist and environmentalist Christopher Sol Eubanks. Christopher has very strong feelings about the thoughtless ways we oppress animals, his complicated role as a black vegan, and his dream of eliminating eating meat. My conversation with him was fascinating in that his framing of animals is that viewing them as products or something we can use to get things for ourselves out of them is an incorrect lens we've been trained to accept. And I always enjoy when someone is working hard toward a better world. One there's no guarantee we'll ever realize, but someone has to try. But our first guest this week is vegan cooking YouTuber Andrew Lau, who gives specific ideas on recipes to eat vegan, foods you can make vegan at home, and the cheapest products to get the most bang for your buck. Turns out there are ways to be vegan without spending a ton, but there's always some caveats like where you live, marketing for vegan products, and reframing what foods you typically think of as vegan. Hello, I am Andrew Lau. I have been making YouTube videos for about 12 years now, and in the past few years have pivoted into the plant-based food world. Um, I used to do a cooking series um, that wasn't real cooking, but now I am doing real cooking. You're a vegan. A lot of your content's about that. How long have you been a vegan and what made you decide? So I don't really have a, an official start date for my veganism. I stopped eating meat when I was 12 in March 2010. Um, so growing up, you know, I ate the um, like vegan meats and like the black bean burgers. Um, and also, you know, also drank the almond milk, also had the earth balance. Like my mom's didn't... Um, never really had butter or milk around besides like my early childhood. But, um, then, then I don't know, in like 2018, I was eating mostly plant-based and I had a roommate who was vegan. And I feel like that was the big, and I started making my own plant-based meats at home. What do you mean you make your own meats? Oh yeah. (laughs) Um, like Satan, are you familiar with that term? Yes. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Like, like these mock meats, like, well, so growing up, I would eat these field roast sausages and a lot of these like vegan products. Um, and then one day I just like got this cookbook and it taught me how to do this once. It was like a light switch of like, oh my God, I can make all this stuff at home, like so easily. Um, and yeah, just seitan, vital wheat gluten. But like, that's an example, like you're able to, to make your own meats from ingredients. Yeah, yeah. Well, so I make a lot of seitan, which is, it's like an old ancient, like Buddhist practice that's been around forever. But essentially how you used to make it, now I can just order Vital Wheat Gluten on Amazon or get it at a store. um, And that, it's essentially just gluten. It's essentially you're washing all of the starch out of flour until you're just left with the gluten, which is protein. So you can turn it into like so many, like I make a seitan like Thanksgiving turkey. I can do like a little shredded chicken thing. Um, and you know, you just throw like a bunch of other stuff in with it, like onions, like sal- like seasonings, uh, tofu, beans, seasonings, etc. cetera. Um, Is it expensive? N- no, making it your by scratch, it is so much cheaper than buying in the store because I can get this like, four pound bag of vital wheat gluten for i don't know like 13 14 dollars how much food does that make well it's hard to say because like 
you can make a super simple seitan with like essentially just that and like vegetable broth and some seasonings and that is obviously like the very cheap version of um doing that but you know and usually i throw in like some tofu and some beans and some like miso paste which can be more expensive so where do you find most of your recipes i'm a i'm a big cookbook boy um so i love like getting a cookbook and then like going through it and making all the recipes that i want to make from that and there'll be a lot of times where i'll learn a technique or there have been a lot of times throughout the years where um, I pick up a technique from one recipe and then I feel like you can kind of just like use that. Like you don't really need to follow a recipe to do the same thing. Um, but the internet, you know, like people are always popping up on my for you page and like Instagram Explorer. And so, you know, social media random minimalistbaker.com was like, I don't know if you're familiar. <laughs> just a celebrity in your world. <laughs> <laughs> she- oh my gosh, I grew up. Yeah, Minimalist Baker was like my first like relationship with recipes, if you will. I was like 13, like making banana muffins. <laughs> um, yeah. Um, anyways, there'll there'll be people who are listening and who are like, I love Minimalist Baker. <laughs> <laughs> It'll be like a little inside joke for the other vegans. Yeah. <laughs> oh, well, she's not vegan anymore. Drama. A few years ago, she <gasps> yeah. Wow. Controversy. (laughs) I love hearing about controversies in worlds I'm not involved in. Oh, yeah. People were pissed, dude. People were like, like, if you go on Amazon, her like uh, cookbook reviews are like, I'm throwing this in the trash. I would I could never. (laughs) Why are vegans like that? (laughs) I don't know. I'm definitely like not like that. I'm definitely like when when she announced that she was like eating eggs or, or chicken because her doctor said to or something. I was like, oh, that's kind of sad. Like, I'll miss the recipes, but also, like, calm down, everyone. Like, she has contributed so much to, like, the space. I don't know. I'm not mad at her. (laughs) Yeah, Um, well, I feel like, you know, even doing this episode, it's kind of funny, like, because I feel like it's something that is, like, controversial. Like, I, people have a lot of opinions about it, um, and like, so what, what do you see? I'm just going, I'm going off script here, but what do you see like in terms of like the controversies or the community? Oh my gosh. I, it, it's hard because there's so many different reasons people might pursue a, a plant-based diet or a vegan lifestyle. I'm in some like vegan Facebook groups. I mean, I don't like log on to Facebook every now and then, but that Oh, oh, I was in a seitan group and, you know, there were a lot of recipes there. So a few years ago, yeah, I, okay. I joined that community and that was a source. Um, but I remember, oh, so KFC just got a vegan chicken or something. And in one of these groups, there are a bunch of people like. I would never like I, how how could you people eat there? It's fried in the same oil as the other chicken. Like it's not vegan, like how I can't believe people are excited about this. Like people just going off in the group chat, but then like PETA comes out and is like, guys, shut up. You're being annoying. Um, They like put out a statement that was like, just eat the chicken. Like it's not hurting an animal because it was cooked in the same oil. Um, You're just hurting them further by making a big ruckus about it being cooked in the same oil. I never had to worry about craving fast food. Like, and now I do. Like, I, I'm going about my work week and I'm like, I want to go to KFC and try that new chicken. And I have never, never driven past fast food restaurants and been like, um, 
oh my gosh, I, I could stop and like just get like a burrito and it has vegan meat in it or something like that. Um, so that is new. That is something <laughs> I'm having to manage, <laughs> um, especially once Taco Bell has like a vegan beef. I don't know what I don't know what I'm going to do. I, it's going to be dangerous <laughs> because it because it's like on the one hand, it's making it more accessible, I think, to people. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, oh, oh no! Oh no! It's definitely good. I'm sorry. Let me let me backtrack. It's. <laughs> I I see the I see both sides. I see the idea of like oh well now these things that were off limits to me are suddenly available to me. Yeah, um, and I'm not as strong as I thought I was. <laughs> do we trust them? We do we trust that it's vegan? <laughs> um, I I do trust. I trust if it's like KFC Beyond Chicken by Beyond. I trust that that's gonna be vegan because Beyond is like a big company with like investors and they can't have like drama there's always these sort of criticisms of like are are is it possible to be vegan without being rich Pro yeah yeah probably but probably not as comfortably but it's interesting my partner i was asking my partner about it my partner was like you know it's funny um when it's like you have to be rich to be vegan because one a lot of uh people who are not wealthy are vegan and two my partner was like a lot of the stuff that that people who aren't rich eat anyway are like rice and beans you would eat anyway or like there's certain um a conception of veganism that uh a lot of people are kind of accidentally already eating vegan because they don't have any money <laughs> yeah yeah no it's interesting um and so so we were talking about things being more available um in restaurants but i feel like what i've also noticed is other people's perspectives so like beans and rice that's vegan that's always been vegan but then kfc new beyond chicken vegan vegan chicken headline like there's no headlines about beans and rice so i feel like um the these big expensive products that are in the headlines are making a big impact on how non-vegans see think of vegan food where do you find most of your ingredients and what ingredients do you find yourself reusing a lot? I love, well, so grocery store wise, love Sprouts, love Trader Joe's. And I will say love Whole Foods, something like Whole Foods, whole paycheck, like, yes, it's expensive. Um, but, but I am shocked sometimes because I think sometimes vegan foods are cheaper at like a Whole Foods, a Sprouts versus like a Ralph's, a Kroger. When I go out of town, food is way more like vegan food is way more expensive back in St. Louis than it is here. Um, so that's like another thing that separates me from perhaps a normal vegan in the middle of America who's trying to eat more plant-based. Right, because it's in LA, more people are vegan probably. It's more expensive for them to probably keep on their shelves. Exactly, yeah. Um, it's, it's crazy, like there'll be... Well, they don't have it anymore, but like this Miyoko's, a Miyoko's block of butter, which is my favorite vegan butter. It was $3.99 at Trader Joe's. Um, but then when I go back to St. Louis, it's like I've seen it to be like $7.50. Another big thing is sales. I am such a sale fiend. Um, whenever there, like literally the other day, I just, I was coming back from a restaurant and I there was like a Whole Foods in the same shopping center. So I just like walked into Whole Foods, went straight to the plant-based section, looked for the sale tags, didn't see anything I wanted, and then I left. Um, it's like, frankly, 
a hobby of mine is going to grocery stores and buying things on sale. Um, but something I've been doing now for the past two years is Miyoko's that brand I was talking about, um, every year now at the end of the year and like the first couple of days of January, I've noticed they do like a 40%, like a 35% off sale, um, of all of their products at Whole Foods. Um, and so I've been stocking up and freezing them. Yeah, I see a lot of, um, I'm on a face, uh, a Reddit group for being frugal, and I see a lot of, uh, I mean, Tupperwares, they'll just like make, you know, for two weeks, they'll make something that is cheap, largely vegan in some ways, other than maybe like cheese, and they'll freeze it, you know, for lunch and dinner, and they'll have, I mean, it's like, you know, you'll, they'll set, they'll, these people are showing off, I think, but there's like big pictures of like, you know, 14 Tupperwares, 35 Tupperwares, whatever, filled with stuff. And you that's not a group for veganism. And like, you wouldn't necessarily think that it's vegetarian or vegan, but a lot of what they're putting together, they're, you know, it's cheaper to get a bunch of chickpeas or, you know, put a bunch of peanuts in something than it is for these people to uh, go and buy chicken. So it is like kind of interesting, the the different perceptions of veganism versus like the reality of what people actually end up eating if they're trying to save money another thing that's in a lot of vegan products is tvp or textured vegetable protein or sometimes it's called textured soy protein um but it's essentially well i don't really know what it is so i'm not going to try and explain but um it's in a lot of vegan products now that some people would be like oh wow that's expensive however literally like decades ago they would put it in the school school lunch meat to make it like last longer um as like a cost thing um so they used to like literally put it in normal meat to make it less expensive once you probably got better at figuring out what you wanted to do or make what was the learning curve in terms of spending yeah there's definitely i feel like i go through phases or i'll like pick up little things um where it's like I get obsessed with it for a couple of weeks and then it, it just adds to my repertoire. Um, like gar you mentioned beans, like garbanzo beans. I like buy those dried and I'll make a big batch of them. And it's just something I learned a couple of years ago. But now ever since I like always have dried beans um, and that is like my preferred way. They're also way better than canned um, if you just make them yourself and it's pretty easy um, once you get the hang of it. Um, and that's the thing I feel like some things are easy a year after you started trying them. Um, so definitely it's a, it can be a slow curve. Yeah. And like in, in terms of knowing how much you need for nutrients and things like that, how did you, how did you learn that? My veganism sort of came after this phase that I am talking about. Um, so I sort of had that in my background. I frankly think becoming vegetarian when I was younger was maybe an aspect to that was sort of wanting to have like control and um over what I eat yes wanting to control things yeah but yeah I don't know I feel like veganism has honestly like sort of helped me in that sense because now I just kind of eat like I don't track anything um which you know maybe maybe I need to like talk to my doctor um make sure I'm getting everything I need but like how do you how do you know uh that you're getting the right nutrients or how do you what what tips would you be like these are this is an easy way to get that you know eat eat a bunch of colors um take get make sure you got a good multivitamin with like some b12 what are the other what are the like 
tricks that are really cost effective um making big batches of beans and rice and freezing them into portions i have these little deli containers and they're like perfect little the thin little small ones they're like perfect for freezing grains um and that sort of thing and then you just have them there um buying in bulk um buying when things are on sale and freezing them if you do want the big um like just egg or beyond meat like i frankly never buy those things when they're full price um i just like only get them when they're on sale um learning to make your own like seitan um or something like that that will definitely save you a lot of money um and better for your health i guess or you can have control over how much sodium and stuff goes in it what if you're at a restaurant with your friends and you're like oh i don't know if there's vegan options here what do i are you the person who's like i'll just eat these beans <laughs> like i'll just order green beans or whatever <laughs> um yeah although i feel like so many of my friends like tend to eat plant-based i don't necessarily find myself at a restaurant where there aren't any options and maybe that's also another lost living in los angeles thing like definitely i remember growing up it was a lot of i'd like the side of green beans the side of rice the side of spinach the side of carrots thank you um but yeah i mean now there's so many options in so many places maybe less so in other parts of the u.s but i just remember and like for road trips i remember years ago a friend of mine finding out that oreos were vegan and then just every road trip would just go if we went into like the 7-eleven or the grocery i mean the uh gas station or something they would just be like so many packets of oreos because that's the only thing that they could eat <laughs> but i think it's funny I think it's funny the things that are they're like, oh, vegan equals healthy when it's like I my friend at that time, I think, subsisted on Oreos and red wine. Um, you know, people will look at that and be like, I don't get why people say veganism are healthy because look at this person eating Oreos. Um, but then also it's like, well, look at this other person who's eating like Whole Foods um, and they're healthier than all of us. Um, uh, so, like, I don't know. I feel like eating vegan can be anything you want it to be. It can be good for the environment. It can be bad for the environment. Um, How is it bad for the environment? Well, well, like, if I'm, like, ordering, like, specialty vegan products from a different country or if I'm, like, in the middle of nowhere um, and I'm, like, let, let me get this these sausages that were shipped across the country um, on a truck. I, I don't know, that kind of thing. Um, yeah, yeah. It's not a monolith. It's not all one I, thing. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I feel like you can find examples of whatever point you want to make um, in the vegan world. Is there a good middle ground for people who don't want to go completely vegan, but they want to like take steps to reduce waste, reduce animal products? Um. Yeah. I, and I don't think you need to like define it. Like um just do it one step at a time yeah if, i mean if you're interested then you're already doing something great is veganism way more accessible right now than people think it is in terms of financially see that's a hard question because i've i want to part of me wants to say yes but then also it's like 
I'm sure veganism is less accessible than I think it is in some places. Yeah, the fast food is a very interesting thing or or even trying to move these types of products or uh, into areas where there's less grocery stores and more bodega type things or even, um, you know, it's interesting the uh, the messaging perhaps like less sort of like you're demons for killing animals and more sort of like, did you know that you could pay- basically be vegan uh, for with the with the stuff you're already buying like that kind of uh, maybe you guys need like a PR overhaul. <laughs> yeah, no, the vegan community needs a lot. <laughs> Thank you so much for coming on the show. Where can people find you and more about you? Thank you so much for having me. You can find me across various social media platforms with the username Andrew Lau. Um, and any other places with the name Andrew Lau. Next, we have Christopher Sol Eubanks, who works toward and dreams of a world without animal exploitation, a world that doesn't yet exist and may take a long time or may never happen at all. But he has to have hope. My name is Christopher Sol Eubanks. I am a an animal rights activist, a human rights activist, and I've been vegan for about almost uh, six years now. And I have a nonprofit called Apex Advocacy, and we advocate for animal rights. And I, my platform is essentially, my nonprofit is essentially trying to help fight animal agriculture and black and brown communities and particularly marginalized communities and help these communities fight against animal agriculture. So that's a small rundown. This is so interesting that you brought that up. This I'm jumping ahead in my questions, but we did an episode about veganism on my other podcast. And a couple of people who wrote in were farmers who talked about, uh, and I wrote down exactly what they said because I wanted to ask you about it, but it was like crit- the critical role animals play in stewarding land and alternatives to factory farming and all this sort of talk about local food. And so it's interesting that you brought that up right from the jump. Um, like what, what are they talking about and what are they getting wrong or what what is your op- opposition to that? Typically, when I hear arguments like that, it's typically people saying that, you know, we need animals to, um, you know, to keep the land in check. And, um, you know, if we weren't doing these things to animals, uh, you know, like their bodies produce, like cows' bodies produce more milk um, than their you know, babies could consume and it would be damaging to them otherwise. Um, so typically, I mean, I think that's where those arguments typically fall under. But I think what a lot of people don't understand is that we've created these situations because we've been exploiting animals so long. Yeah. Can you talk about what the activism involves with that? Like what what would you what needs to change or what would you like to see change based on and also like what's happening? Well, I would say the biggest thing that could change that those types of situations in particular would be the subsidies. These industries get so much money from the government to continue to exploit animals that, you know, without those subsidies, we would have to address these real concerns. You know, we wouldn't be able to give these industries and companies so much money to exploit animals and damage the environment. But if those subsidies weren't there, then we would really have to think more about uh, forward, we would have to think more forward 
and look at how we can really fix these issues. So really going after these subsidies and making sure that instead of being able to buy a hamburger for a dollar, it should really actually be reflective of the true cost. The true cost is probably somewhere from 10 to $20 for a, a typical hamburger. That's how much a hamburger should be. Meanwhile, you have fruits and vegetables that don't get these subsidies that should actually be much lower than they even are right now if they were to get subsidies. So it's about making sure that we hold people in power accountable and fighting for more lobbyists and fighting for more uh, government change to help support systems that one, don't exploit animals and true uh, support more plant-based foods. How are the animals being exploited? I know that's a broad question. Oh yeah. I mean, it's so many ways. It's, it's honestly like a laundry list. You know, even when people think about consumption of eggs, um, you know, ultimately male chicks and uh, female chicks, when they are hatched in these industries, they are separated from the day they are born from males to females because they separate them because the males don't produce eggs. So essentially on their, within minutes or hours of being born, all of the males are separated and killed instantaneously. They're pretty much put on a conveyor belt and uh, sent down what's uh, sent into what's called a macerator, and they're grinded alive, you know, essentially within the first day of their life. And that happens to billions of male chicks every day. Female chicks, their uh, their bodies are they have been, I would say, uh, selectively bred to produce a lot more eggs than they normally would in nature. They're bodies would produce maybe 12 to 15 eggs a year, which is essentially a part of their menstruation. But instead, we've selectively bred them to produce hundreds of eggs a year. So we're exploiting their bodies and putting their bodies through this, uh, this intense process, you know, essentially almost every day when it should be once a month, just because we want to consume their eggs. You know, this similar things happens to cows. They're forced to be pregnant every nine months because their bodies produce milk only after giving birth. So in order for these industries to keep milk on shelves, they have to make sure that these cows are constantly pregnant. So they constantly impregnate them essentially every nine months. And once they give birth, they separate the baby cows from the mother cows. So they're splitting up their family dynamic and they're putting their body through intense pressure of having to be pregnant every nine months. And when, when their bodies break down, after five or six years of being constantly pregnant, they're sent off to slaughter. They are killed then because they are no longer profitable to these industries. The similar things happen to bees. Bees are exploited and mass produced and manipulated to produce more honey. Um, it, it's so many ways that these um, industries exploit animals. I mean, it's interesting. It's controversial because like we've had you know, that I would think that those people would argue, well, but there's a difference between like me being a beekeeper in my house and making my like Etsy honey versus, you know, these big factory farms where I think animals are treated like producers of, of just cap capitalism. It's just based on, you know, the, the creation of the, m like what's the most we can get out of this animal versus like someone saying, well, but I have one cow and I like sell my little milk at the farmer's market. Is there a difference there? Or is it all kind of, I'm, I'm wondering if one allows the other to exist. I don't know. I think, uh, yeah, absolutely. And that was the, uh, that's what I was just about to say. It ultimately comes down to us viewing 
animals as things that are here for us to consume. Once we draw that line, we start to justify ways we can exploit them and say, well, maybe I can exploit them in a smaller way instead of a larger way. But ultimately, if we view others' bodies, others' um, existence as things that are here for us to consume, honestly, that's a form of discrimination. We're stripping them of their autonomy. We're saying that your existence doesn't belong to you. It's more important for me to use your existence for something that's beneficiary towards me, regardless of how it impacts you. So as long as we contribute to this, feed into this thinking that the uh, others are here for us to consume, it makes way for suffering and exploitation to happen on a smaller scale or a larger scale. The, the, the idea should be that we should respect these other individuals enough to not want to contribute to exploiting to them at all. How do you view animals? What ideally would be their place? You know, ideally, they would be able to exist harmoniously with us. Um, but that's not the society that we've created. We've, as humans, honestly, exploited the earth. Like we've made the earth something that is centered around our existence instead of something that we try to inject ourselves in naturally and organically. Maybe one of the things we could do is have a more zero waste lifestyle that allows animals to exist as naturally and free as possible. How that looks, I'm not exactly sure, but I think something along those lines would, would be what I would hope could happen. I really enjoyed your article about, as a black man, I felt uncomfortable becoming an animal activist. Can you talk a little bit about what that was about and the discomfort? You know, like, I think it's so interesting because we were talking before you got on, me and my producer, about how um, people choose how people choose how much to be militant about something. Um, so, can you talk a little bit about that article and about your like personal journey? Yeah, absolutely. So, I ultimately became vegan after watching Cowspiracy, and I watched Cowspiracy. And at the moment, at the time, I became vegan because I wanted to be a better environmentalist. I didn't really understand how bad consuming animal products was for the environment. So right then and there, I transitioned into not consuming any animal products that day, right after watching that film. What I didn't yet understand was the ethics behind veganism. So once I started to understand that animals are exploited and that their bodily autonomy is being stripped from them, that we are putting them in massive systems of oppression, that's when I really started to think about how uh, contradictory I felt knowing that all my life I've been advocating for people to not uh, you know, support any form of discrimination towards people of color and other marginalized groups. And all the while here I was paying for exploitation to happen, happen on a massive scale pretty much through every part of my day when I buy animal products wear animal products. And I thought that I was, honestly, I, I just felt I was being very contradictory. So once I realized that I really started to do more animal advocacy, and as I started to do animal advocacy, I began to notice that there weren't a lot of people of color. Uh, there wasn't as much diversity as I would have thought that would be within the animal protection movement. So there was a lot of times when I didn't really feel like I had 
a community that I could understand. Um, I didn't go to events and see many people of color. And just as a, just as a black man growing up in America, I was always very used to oftentimes being the only black person in social settings, experiencing that within the animal rights movement just felt, it just bothered me, just made me a little paranoid about why aren't there more black people here? Is this something that the movement is aware of? Is it something that the movement is trying to address or doesn't care to address? And I think it's a, a combination of all of those types of things. So I was just dealing with that as I became more and more involved in animal rights. And I was reached out to by Sentient Media and Encompass about just sharing my thoughts about racial equity in the animal rights movement and just my experiences. And that that was the way that I chose to express that because I hadn't really spoken about it before in such a public manner. I really put a lot of thought into that article. So yeah, just you know, understanding that there isn't as much equity in the movement as we would like. There aren't as mm -hmm. many activists of color that we would like uh, in, in terms of the mainstream animal rights movement. There aren't as many people in positions of power that are leading organizations, that are working at organizations. The funding that's typically um, used in the animal protection movement is, you know, typically not from people of color. The, the metrics that we use are essentially coming from, um, you know, more white and Caucasian people than anyone else. So that means that the way that they see the world, the way that they view the world is what we're judging our uh, effectiveness on. So just realizing all of those types of things is kind of what made me realize that, okay, I'm a little uncomfortable. I think these things need to be addressed more. And not only that, I think I should start my own organization where I can talk about these things and advocate in a way that's true to me and what I want um, my activism to look and reflect. I'm curious, like, you know, people always talk about veganism is so white and, you know, you like on the not even broadly, but like on the ground, personal finance wise with with black and brown people. How, how do you make veganism seem doable to them? Yeah, I think um, one of the things that we have to do is understand that one, well, veganism can be sometimes weaponized as a like as a way to show that people are elitist. You can buy, you know, but you can also do the same thing with animal products. Yeah, there are people that weaponize veganism and use it to show that they are elitist, unfortunately. But uh, I think you can also show people that there are plant-based foods that are some of the cheapest foods in the world. Um, in the world, so you don't have to necessarily only show the side of veganism where people are buying expensive vegan food. You can tell people that hey, you can go into the grocery store, buy a bag of rice, buy some bananas, some vegetables, you know, frozen foods that are plant-based and that are extremely affordable. A lot of the foods that we have grown up on, and also education about. Uh, decolonizing our our mindset. Um, we have to understand that colonization has really brought uh, forth exploiting animals on such a more, large, massive scale. This isn't something that was done in black and brown and indigenous communities. You know, we had more of our 
harmonious relationship with uh, non-human animals before colonization. So a lot of the foods that we were eating were predominantly plant-based. Like a lot of cultures before colonization that existed had massive amounts of plant-based options. So it's just about helping more people of color uh, understand that, you know, consuming animals on this such large scale is something that was brought in through colonization. It's, it isn't something that was done in our uh, culture previously on, on such a large scale. People definitely feel that the ways that, you know, we have consumed animals, you know, throughout our family history, uh, you know, we have a lot of connection to that. But I will say on the flip side is that we can still have those connections. We can still have those habits. We can easily veganize them though. You know, we don't have to have turkeys being mass killed for Thanksgiving dinner. There are so many other foods that we can enjoy. The same thing with Christmas. You know, a lot of the things that we are, uh, that we tie our emotions to is the feeling, but not necessarily the food per se. Like we can eat other things. We can eat food that doesn't have to come from exploiting animals. So we can have these traditions that can be uh, veganized. And even culturally, um, there are so many people in cultures that are showing the way to veganize their culture, whether it be Muslim vegans, there are all types of cultures. If you look up veganism in that in whatever culture you are from, I'm pretty sure there's a group, there's a website, there's a page that is addressing how people of that culture are uh, showcasing uh, the vegan lifestyle and the vegan culture, even within that culture. So I don't think they are mutually exclusive. Um, what I was going to ask, I wrote down is, is making things that taste like meat, but aren't meat defeating the purpose. I, I completely <laughs> understand because I am not one of these people that like love the plant-based meats that I do eat them. Don't get me wrong. It can be viewed that way, but I also view it as a way to showcase that we can still experience those same textures and same uh, taste pleasures without ex contributing to exploiting and suffering of animals. When you became vegan six years ago, so how does how did veganism affect your personal finances? I started to think about, okay, how do I want to make sure that outside of my food and diet and the clothes that I wear and the places that I go, how can I make sure that all of those things are in line with my vegan values? And that also led to thinking about investing in a in a ethical and, and vegan manner. So I would say initially not too much, but as I started to think more about the things that I wanted to spend my money on, whether it be uh, clothing, whether it be stocks and investments and retirement, I wanted to make sure that all of those things were in line with my vegan values. A lot of people, the, the idea would be like, oh, I had to spend so much more to be vegan, you know, like even, you know, vegan products, vegan shoes, vegan whatever. We were talking about, you know, I asked people for questions for you. And then, you know, people say, is it possible to be vegan without being rich? And then you were joking on Instagram, like, can't wait to talk about how broke I am. So like, how does, how does that, how does that shake with the, the idea of like vegans being like rich white people? Yeah, I think, you know, you can do practically anything, um, vegan and with 
not necessarily needing tons of money. Like, yes, I, I'll be the first to say I'm not well off financially. But I wonder too, if like community, when you were talking a little bit, like also thinking about money in a way, if you're thinking about your food and your diet and your clothing in a more communal way, I wonder if then the money becomes like, well, I should donate here. I should put this here. I should like, then all of a sudden that becomes almost decolonized and more communal. I don't know if this was a vegan thing, but once I became vegan, I was like, okay, I, I don't really need as much to survive on. Interesting. My values just don't push me towards needing those things as much anymore. We've done an episode about fast fashion here too that got a, a lot of feedback, which was basically people saying, you know, these shirts just end up in landfills. They don't, you know, so like what you're saying um, kind of reminded me of that episode too. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, fast fashion is such a problem. And yeah, I, I think I'm gearing, doing my best and I'm nowhere near uh, where I would like to be, but I would definitely like to live a close to a zero waste lifestyle as possible. There's ads that run on my other show that it's like vegan shampoo, vegan conditioner. And like, part of me is like, what's a vegan t-shirt company? Like, wh what are we, um, are we just slapping that onto things that are already vegan? Like what's happening? <laughs> I think sometimes it can be more of a approach to how you run the company. So like this hoodie, you know, has a, a vegan message on it. Like all of our clothing has vegan messaging. Um, some companies are, you know, making sure that the ink isn't animal product based. Um, that is, has a very, the lowest possible eco footprint. Yeah. I guess vegan is different than animal rights based when you think about it. Would veganism be better for the U S economy? I truly believe so. I mean, we use so much resources and so many unnecessary, um, I guess so, so much trans, uh, transportation and all of this oil that's needed to transport animals' bodies and exploit them. If we were to reallocate the funding that the government uses for animal agriculture, if it could be used on other things. I mean, I'm sure it's a huge lobby, but I'm sure like people think, you know, similar to oil mining and coal and things like that, where they're like, this is a family business. This is our job. This has been our farm for years. And like, you would have to, we would have to do some sort of green new deal where you'd have to sort of do something where you move all of these people into different jobs or you move all of these people. You know, I understand why you say we're so far away from this, even to get people to, to move towards it. it reminds me of like universal basic income or reparations or universal healthcare where people are like, like UBI, I remember people being like, that's crazy. <laughs> um, and like, you know, it's it's living in this ideal that maybe bristles other people. Yeah, and, and I think the good thing about it is that, or it's good or bad how you look at it, but we have time. You know, these aren't things that we're going to solve overnight. You know, as much as I would love the world to transition to a vegan lifestyle, you know, we we're probably generations away from that we can reallocate these resources over time, just like any industry that changes, you know, what, maybe a hundred or 200 years ago, there weren't any cars, you know, there were mm -hmm. just people on horseback and with buggies, but once cars were invented and introduced, so it happened slowly over time. And now it's just the way of life. Yeah. But you're saying things change and grow the railroad to airplanes to, yeah. 
so uh, this is just a thing that comes up. Like, again, we did a veganism episode for my other show and people were like, well, I have health conditions that require me to not be vegan. And I think people feel it's like a moral judgment, you know, like if someone's like, I, my health requires me to not be vegan and da, 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 da. And like, I'm not, I'm not brushing those people off, but I, I do wonder if sometimes it's like because veganism is pushed as a moral standing, then people feel like they're being immoral for not being vegan for their whatever reason that they can't can't control. Yeah, I, I would say, yeah, those sometimes people have valid concerns. Even when I went vegan, I didn't I wasn't abreast of like, OK, how do I do this? You know, what's healthy or what's not? I will say two things. One is that you can consult with your uh, doctor or nutritionist or dietitian um, because a vegan diet has, by the biggest and largest dietetic associations in the world, not just a couple of people, we're talking about groups of tens of thousands of food nutritionists that determine the eating standards for the world. They have all said that uh, a plant-based diet is healthy and fine for people of all ages. Even if you are hypothetically allergic to every plant that exists. Um, <clears throat> veganism is about doing, making the conscious choice that anytime you have the ability to not support exploiting an animal, you make the decision not to. Yeah, whether it's like just not buying leather, like whatever you can do. Yeah, 100% of the time when you have the option, you should choose to not support exploiting animals. And that's what it comes down to. Because even in a life or death situation, if I had to consume an animal to survive, then at that point, we're talking about extra uh, ordinary circumstances where I can't be judged on, you know, what I do in abnormal circumstances. You work under those circumstances. But I will say sometimes people use that as an excuse to dismiss even attempting to be vegan or not look into it or give it an honest review and see what's possible for them. But I would say if you do the research, if you consult the right people, if you tell them, hey, I'm trying to do this, show me how, as opposed to assuming that you can't. Yeah. So uh, before we end, I you mentioned doing vegan investing uh, and you mentioned it on the podcast and you also mentioned it in, in DM. So what what is vegan investing? Yeah, it's essentially the same thing, making sure that any investments that I make are from companies that don't support any form of uh, animal exploitation or does everything that they can to not support any form of animal exploitation. So many people may not know that uh, Tesla, they are a vegan company. They made a pledge to you know, not use animal products in their cars. So all of their cars are vegan leather. But one of the things that I've done, done is just literally look up vegan stocks, like go through articles and look at these companies. And at this point, I know personally about I would say about eh, 20 or 30 stocks that are vegan. One is EATV. The other is VEGN. The VEGN is more of the accidental vegan companies. Yeah. But the ETV is more of the uh, basket of stocks that are more of the intentional companies. So these are the Beyonds, the Oatleys. But uh, yeah, there's tons of other vegan companies that, and when I first started investing, I was just investing in all of them. I wonder if those will be on the rise as more and more people, because like beyond, you know, is kind of becoming more and more popular. I wonder if the vegan stocks will 
who knows? I don't know. My dad was like, cannabis is the new wave. And then like, no, it didn't really. <laughs> so like, who knows? You can't predict, but. I think plant-based industries yeah. are so disruptive because they're going to be become the norm, you know, maybe 10, 15, 20 years. There's only, we're only going to increase the amount of plant-based options that exist in our society. We see it happening with KFC. Who would have thought that you can go into Chipotle and get plant-based options? Um, even McDonald's, they're rolling out uh, a plant-based burger in 600 of their stores. It is just inevitable um, that mm -hmm. more sustainable food, which is predominantly plant-based in terms of large scale, is going to be the norm. So that's why I think investing in these plant-based options in these companies is investing in disrupting the status quo. Thank you so much for coming on. Where can people find you and more about you? You can go to soulubanks.com, S-O-U-L-E-U-B-A-N-K-S.com to just learn more about me. I have all of my social media links on there. The, my handle is S-O-U-L underscore Ubanks on various social media. And if you want to find more about my nonprofit, you can go to apexadvocacy.org. That's A-P-E-X advocacy.org. Um, between those two, you should be able to find out about all the work that I'm doing. Thank you so much. Do I agree with everything Christopher said? Maybe not. But a lot of his thoughts were ones I had never heard articulated before. And this interview opened the door for me to ask myself, why do I think of animals as products and not as other beings sharing this earth? When did that start and why and by who? Is it correct for humans to center their experiences over those who we share the planet with? Why are we the most important? Maybe we should be, but maybe we shouldn't be. And as I wanted to say to Andrew the entire interview, hail Satan. I would love to hear from you. Be sure to send an email at gabbyisbadwithmoney at gmail.com or leave me a voicemail at 844-474-4040. You can also email me a voice memo if you prefer. Join our online communities too. We are on Instagram, Discord, TikTok, Patreon, and Facebook. Links to all of these will be listed in the episode description. And don't forget to listen to the show the day it drops so we can get on the charts and spread the word. I'm serious. Head over to Instagram or Patreon or Discord. It is popping off there. Everyone has a lot to say. And I think about this episode, there will be even more comments. Okay, thank you. Love you guys. Bye. Done.